Hello. The topic of this podcast is the European Atomic Energy Community, or Euratom in short, and we will be speaking about the UK government's decision to withdraw from this community at the same time as leaving the European Union. My name is Anne Eckenroth, and with me today is Silke Goldberg, a partner in the Corporate Energy Department of Herbert Smith Freeholds and an expert in European law and nuclear power. Thank you for joining us today, Silke. To start with, could you briefly tell us what is Euratom exactly? Hi Anne, and thank you. The Euratom Treaty was signed in March 1957 at the same time as the founding treaties for the now European Union. The original signatories to the Euratom Treaty were Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Luxembourg and of course the Netherlands. The principal purpose of these founding members was to coordinate resources for the use of nuclear energy for peaceful purposes and as a means of achieving energy independence in those post-war years. Broadly speaking, the institutional framework of the Euratom Treaty is similar to that of the EU treaties. As such, Euratom uses the same institutions such as the Council, the Commission, Parliament and the European Courts. However, legally speaking, Euratom is a separate institution from the European Union with a completely separate legal personality. Okay. When the government triggered Article 50 of the TEU to leave the European Union, it also declared that it wanted to exit Euratom at the same time. Is leaving Euratom a necessary consequence of the withdrawal notice under Article 50? Well, in my view, no. The decision of the UK government to announce an intention to withdraw from Euratom is primarily a political decision. As I said, Euratom is a separate legal institution from the European Union, although it uses some of the same bodies. Article 106a of the Euratom Treaty incorporates into the Euratom Treaty the text of Article 50 TEU to be interpreted with the rest of the Euratom Treaty. However, this incorporation does not create a linked automatism by which serving notice of intention to leave the European Union under Article 50 of TEU operates also to serve notice of exit under Euratom. In my view, the better view is that the processes under Article 106a of the Euratom Treaty and Article 50 of the TEU are separate in nature. There are some who argue that leaving Euratom is necessary as a consequence of leaving the European Union. In my view, these arguments are primarily political in nature and reflect the reluctance of the current government to accept jurisdiction of non-UK institutions in any matter. Strictly legally speaking, however, triggering withdrawal of Article 50 um, of the TEU does not automatically necessitate a departure from Euratom. Um, In that case, does the government even have authority to withdraw from Euratom, in particular in light of last year's referendum? That is actually questionable. It is in particular questionable whether government had the mandate to serve notice to exit Euratom. There are two reasons for this. The question, first of all, of leaving Euratom was not expressly put to the British people in the referendum of June uh, and it does not seem to have been covered in the debates or explanatory papers issued to Parliament at the time of the referendum bill. Secondly, the referendum question as a matter of law may not even have extended to Euratom. 
As you may well know, the question specifically asked, should the United Kingdom remain a member of the European Union or leave the European Union? What must be highlighted here is that the wording referred to the European Union and not the EU. Now, you may think this is a very technical legal point from a drafting perspective. However, this is actually quite important because the European Union Amendment Act 2008 inserts a definition of the EU into the European Communities Act 1972. According to this definition, the EU means the European Union being the union established by the Treaty on European Union signed at Maastricht on the 7th of February 1992, as amended later by any other treaty. The Act further provides that a reference to the EU in an Act or an instrument made under an Act includes a reference to the European Atomic Energy Community. The European Union Referendum Act 2015 does however not use the term the EU as defined, but the term the European Union. This would seem to be the narrower description of the European Union Amendment Act, as it only refers to a body established under the Treaty on the European Union, i.e. the European Union, but not Euratom. So all of this legal drafting and the argument based on that means that it's arguable that government only asked for and received a mandate to exit the European Union. It did not request or receive the same mandate in relation to Euratom. Silke, could you tell us what are the difficulties if the UK leaves Euratom at the same time as the European Union? The main difficulty is to agree all the necessary nuclear provisions in addition to the Brexit-related negotiations and in particular to do so before the likely two-year deadline for a Euratom departure runs out. Just to give you an idea, government would need to negotiate both the terms for exiting Euratom and the European Union and replacement agreements of some kind for both institutions. As the current news reports show, negotiating Brexit terms by themselves is difficult enough. In addition, Government would also need to negotiate individual bilateral replacement agreement with all the Euratom and non-Euratom countries with which Euratom currently has a relationship. Secondly, negotiate the future security and safeguard regime that will apply to the United Kingdom. And thirdly, cater for that undesirable outcome where no replacement agreement with Euratom is reached before the clocks strikes 12 in relation to the end of the UK's membership in the EU and Euratom. Just hypothetically speaking, what would be the impact of exiting Euratom without a seamless replacement? The decision to leave Euratom could have significant negative impacts on a range of sectors if replacement measures are not put in place in time. First of all, in relation to the civil nuclear industry. The most direct area of impact is on the UK's civil nuclear industry, where the potential for disruption is very high. Unlike other sectors, where trade may be impacted by tariffs or other trade barriers subsequent to Brexit, import and export materials for the nuclear industry could become illegal unless there is a seamless transition to, for, for replacement arrangements.
Secondly, there's the whole question of nuclear decommissioning. The UK's Nuclear Decommissioning Authority, the NDA, relies on a range of materials, equipment and services sourced from outside the UK which could face disruption. Thirdly, there's the area of research. The UK is involved in joint research programmes such as ITER and Jet Fusion 4 Energy and that is based on its current URATA membership, which brings scientific and economic benefit to the UK, including 50 million a year to run JET. Also, it brings to the UK supply chain contracts worth up to 500 million euros. The EU's Horizon 2020 Fission R&D programme funds further research into nuclear activities and also opens opportunities for investment in UK R&D. Without a new framework for collaboration, research in the UK could actually be curtailed. Then fourthly, there's the area of medicine. The UK government has denied that leaving Euratom could interrupt the trade in medical isotopes. However, in any event, there will need to be a new regulatory framework governing the trade in such materials. And then finally, there are other sectors, um, and in fact quite a wide range of other industries, which also make use of radioactive materials, including the automobile, aeronautics, as well as mining and petroleum industries. Beyond those directly affected are also a range of businesses within supply chains who stand to suffer if trade is disrupted. Silke, could you tell us what has the government done so far in this regard? The UK government's aspiration, set out in a position paper entitled Nuclear Materials and Safeguards Issues, is to reach agreement on new nuclear safeguard arrangements with no interruption from the Euratom regime and, I'm quoting, provision of legal certainty on immediate issues related to nuclear material in both the UK and Euratom. The UK's position paper was mirrored by an EU paper released in July, covering much of the same issues. Following the conclusion of the fourth round of Brexit negotiations in late September, Brexit Secretary of State David Davis highlighted nuclear safeguarding as one of the areas of progress, and that both sides were close to reaching agreement on the vast majority of issues set out in our position papers. However, there remains significant work to be done on the future UK-Euratom relationship, as well as getting the UK itself ready to leave. The UK has begun its work with the first reading of the Nuclear Safeguards Bill and seeking powers to enhance the role and responsibilities of the Office for Nuclear Regulation, the ONR for short. So what would have needed to happen if the UK had decided to remain within Euratom, although leaving the European Union? Well, that is quite a complicated question in itself. The text of Article 106A of the Euratom Treaty means that the UK could leave the EU whilst remaining a member of Euratom. As I mentioned earlier, the invocation of Article 50 TEU cannot by itself change the membership of Euratom. The difficulties that would have arisen out of this scenario would um, not have been substantial from a legal perspective necessarily, but would have been quite complex and technical in nature. They flow from the fact that the EU and Euratom are separate communities using the same institution. 
Already in the past, this has caused some technical difficulties on a number of occasions, but these have always been addressed without much actual difficulty at the end of the day. Mainly, it would have been necessary to achieve several things. From a very practical perspective, the UK would have needed to negotiate and make changes to the Euratom Treaty to reflect that it was subject to the institutional arrangements which um, would apply to Euratom, but only for the purposes of the Euratom Treaty, because it would no longer use those same institutions in relation to its then seized EU membership. Then, a format would have been needed for the continued engagement of the United Kingdom with EU institutions in relation to Euratom. As part of this discussion, the UK may have looked to revisit the basis on which its representatives in the relevant institutions were elected or nominated, in particular given that these persons would only have had a role in respect of the UK's membership in Euratom, but not in any other shape or form. And then thirdly, there are of course the financial arrangements, which would have needed to be changed in order to reflect the UK's membership of Euratom, but not the EU. So in short, quite complex questions, but largely technical, that would have reflected that new scenario. As your last point, you mentioned financial arrangements. Um, how would the UK's budget have looked like or would have been affected, both in the case of remaining in Euratom and in the case of leaving it? Okay. By way of background, the budget of the European Union comprises the revenue and expenditure of the Union, as well as the revenue and expenditure of Euratom. This means that the European Union adopts one single budget for both institutions. The revenue and expenditure of Euratom must be shown separately in the EU budget. The budget of the European Union is funded mainly from own resources of the European Union, mainly but not exclusively, by way of customs duties on imports from outside of the European Union and other revenue, which includes contributions from non-EU countries to certain programmes. If the UK decides to exit the European Union, or would have decided to exit the European Union, but remain a member of Euratom, the financial arrangements could be amended to allow the UK to contribute, as a then non-EU country, to the budget of Euratom. Arranging for such a contribution by the United Kingdom to the Euratom budget would have been assisted by the fact that the Euratom budget is already de facto separate today. If the UK were to decide, or now has decided, to um, exit the European Union and Euratom, it will be required to make contributions to Euratom under the same terms of any eventual cooperation agreements between Euratom and the United Kingdom as any other non-European Union country. In terms of the future relationship between the UK and Euratom, what are the options? There are really, in my view, three different scenarios, so three possible different, different answers to that question. The first scenario would have been remain in Euratom, and we've discussed that in part already. There have been attempts to keep the UK in Euratom even as it leaves the European Union. In February 17, an opposition amendment to the Brexit bill seeking to keep the UK in Euratom was defeated by a majority of 49 in, uh, the, in the House of Commons. 
While further amendments could be attached to the UK withdrawal bill, any attempt to force the UK government to rescind its decision to leave Euratom would face key technical and political challenges. The second scenario is that of an associate agreement. Under Article 206 of the Euratom Treaty, there are provisions for associate agreements with Euratom, with reciprocal rights and obligations, common action and special procedures. Euratom currently has one such agreement with Switzerland, um, although this agreement is focused on scientific research partnerships only, and it's a long way short of a replacement for full-term membership. An associate agreement would require unanimity in the Council, raising the question of, for example, how anti-nuclear countries such as Austria might approach the, approach the issue, and of course consent from the European Parliament. The, th the third scenario in relation to your question, Anna, is that alternatively the UK could simply accept third-party status and seek the requisite nuclear cooperation agreement with Euratom. However, agreeing a replacement agreement with Euratom or rather achieving such an agreement with Euratom would require a qualified majority, i.e. 55% of the council members representing EU member states comprising at least 65% of the total EU population would need to vote in favour of such a nuclear cooperation agreement. What else does the UK government need to do then? Well, beyond establishing a new relationship with Euratom, the UK will also need to, first of all, conclude a new voluntary offer agreement with the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, to remain in compliance with its international law obligations. This would cover the UK's safeguarding operations, which is very much likely to be a key requirement for the UK to put in place any replacement arrangements, and government will also need to sign new nuclear cooperation agreements, so-called NCAs, with third countries to replace the current arrangements from which it's benefiting as part of its Eurata membership. In the US, such an agreement is called a 1-2-3 agreement and is a legal precondition to nuclear trade. Countries such as Canada and Australia require as a matter of policy that an NCA be entered into as a precondition to nuclear trade. The Nuclear Industry Association has identified as priority NCAs with the US, Canada, Japan, Australia, Kazakhstan and South Korea. They have also noted that the UK will be subject to the legislative and policy imperatives of such countries when negotiating the relevant NCAs. Last question, Silke. What needs to happen now? Assuming that the UK will now leave Euratom, the UK government needs to, first of all, put in place transitional arrangements which will apply from the 29th of March 19 until such time that the future relationship with Euratom has been fully defined and documented in appropriate treaties. Secondly, they need to prepare a backup plan for the quite improbable and undesirable version of Brexatom, in which the UK departs after the two-year notice period without having agreed any replacement arrangements. Thirdly, they need to put in place new post-Euratom security and safeguarding regimes for the UK. Fourth, they need to define the UK's future relationship with Euratom, in particular as to whether it would seek 
a form of associated status via an association agreement, or accept third country status and seek a nuclear cooperation agreement with Euratom. Fifthly, they need to conclude a new voluntary offer agreement with the IAEA to remain in compliance with its international law obligations to cover the UK's safeguarding operations. Lastly, they need to sign new NCAs, nuclear cooperation agreements, with third countries to replace the current arrangements from which it is benefiting by virtue of its membership in Euratom. The Nuclear Industry Association has identified NCAs with the US, Canada, Japan, Australia, Kazakhstan and South Korea as priorities. Thank you very much, Silke, for your time and for sharing your insight in the topic with us. Thank you very much.